2: simplicity of gospel goes against everything in our society because our society screams pull yourself up by the bootstraps you can do this and the gospel says no you can't but he did
1: welcome to the barnabas effect with paul purvis senior pastor of mission hill church a multicultural multi-generational multiplying church focused on shining the light and love of jesus like a city on a hill You're invited to visit any of the three locations in Temple Terrace and Tampa. For information and locations, visit MissionHill.org. That's MissionHill.org. Now, with today's message, here's Pastor Paul Purvis.
2: Even though you're messed up, even though you have not become sinless, if you've been justified by God, if you are a follower of Christ, you have become a saint. Now, let me just mention those next two stages, though we're not really talking about those today. The next stage is sanctification. God doesn't... He's not really okay with us just continuing to mess up and not caring, right? So sanctification is when I'm being made more and more into the image of Christ. I'm not being... conformed to the image of this world, but I'm being transformed into the image of God. So I'm being sanctified. I'm being made more like Christ. And then thank you, Jesus. One day there's going to be glorification that doesn't take place until heaven, but in heaven, I no longer, not only have no more pain, no more tears, no more sorrow. I have no more sin. So I've been delivered from that ability to sin. And I experience the glorification like Jesus in that way. And so Paul was saying, hey, don't forget who you are. I'm about to slap you around. I'm about to poke you in the eye like the three stooges did. I mean, I'm going to tell you how bad it is. But I'm writing to you as saints of God. And, And then he says this. Remember what you have. So he ends verse 3 by saying, so I give you grace and peace. Now, grace and peace is both eternal and temporal. Eternal means we have the grace of God, which gives us salvation. For by grace are you saved through faith. It's it's not of your works, lest any man should boast. It's the gift of God. So grace of God, the gift of God, that word charis, it's what gives me the opportunity to be saved and, and to have joy. But that's not what he's talking about here. He's talking about daily grace. Aren't you thankful for the daily graces? You see, I I know as hard, as much as I've blown it, as messed up as my life has been, the bottom line is I became a child of God when I was seven years old. That's when I received the salvation grace of God. But there have been many days, I don't know that I would even be here, but by the grace of God. His daily grace has sustained me. That's what the apostle Paul is talking about when he says, I asked God to take this away from me three different times. But he said, what? My grace is sufficient for you. So like grace, we have peace that's eternal. The eternal peace is knowing that because I have peace with God, I've got the peace of God that nothing can snatch me out of my father's hand. I'm going to talk about that in a moment, but that's not what he's talking about here. He's talking about daily peace. The peace that he describes in Philippians 4 when he says be anxious for nothing but in everything with prayer and supplication make your requests known to God and the peace of God which surpasses all human understanding will guard your heart and mind through Christ Jesus. So he's saying, hey, remember that you belong to God if you're a follower of Christ and remember, follower of Christ, that, that you are a saint and remember that he's given you everything you need to make it through every day. He's given you grace to make it through every day and he's given you peace to make it through every day. So be encouraged. And I, I think that's significant for you because as you think about your messed up life, it's easy to get discouraged. But he's saying, be encouraged. Be encouraged. And he doesn't stop there. He then goes through and he details five things about them that's encouraging to him. Now, I don't know if you, you know this, but that's just a good communication tactic, right? When you're having a difficult conversation, it's probably good to, to sincerely, don't just make it up, but sincerely express positive things that you see, particularly in a a relationship that you have. What does this person mean to you? How do you see them? So Paul begins to describe this. Notice what he says in first Corinthians chapter one, verse four, I give thanks to my God always for you. Why? Because of the grace of God that was given to you in Christ Jesus, that in every way you were enriched in speech and all knowledge, even as a testimony about Christ was confirmed among you so that you're not lacking in any gift as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will sustain you to the end, guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ God is faithful say God is faithful God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of his son Jesus Christ our Lord so what was he saying he, he was saying first hey I want you to know I see you like God sees you now I want you just to let that soak in Because if you can make a decision at the beginning of this another year to see the people in your circle of influence, your little corner of the world, to see them as God sees them, it will revolutionize your relationships. Now, what were the things that he saw in them that God saw? First of all, he saw they were truly saved. He, He saw that they had experienced the grace of God. Now, this is going to seem foreign. If you didn't have these first few sentences in this letter that he's writing to the church at Corinth, you would not think he's writing to the same group of people. He's going to deal, for example, with a guy who is shacked up with his stepmother in the church. He's going to deal with people who are at odds with one another about who gets to take the Lord's Supper first in the church. So he's getting pretty direct about the sin that's going on. But before he does that, he's saying, I I want you to see, I I see that you've experienced the true grace of God. And, And this is important that you get because so much of our life is focused on what we need to do to please others, that we assume there's something we've got to do to please God and the heart, the heart the heart of the gospel is that it's the grace of God and God's grace alone that gives you the opportunity to be in right relationship with Jesus. So he says, I see that. And he says, I see that you even exhibit an understanding you've been blessed by God with these spiritual endowments. He calls them. And he, he, then he specifies, he says with the, the knowledge and the intellect of God. So he was saying, you know what you believe. And I would say that of a lot of you. I mean, Now, sometimes we get educated beyond our obedience, don't we? But we know the things of God. And then thirdly, he says, and your faith has been confirmed. Some of you come from a faith tradition where you have a confirmation. What is a confirmation? In ritualistic faith tradition, it happens at a certain age so that others can say, what are they intending to say? Hey, I see the faith of God in you. The danger of that being at a certain age is because we're all different, right? Right. And so that's why we want to watch out for rituals, but that's the meaning of confirmation. Well, he was saying, I see that your faith has been confirmed by the testimony of others. So others have seen that your faith is real. So you're secure in your faith. Then he goes on to say, and I also know you've had spiritual gifts. So you've got these things that God's given you. And when you do these things, everybody's better for it. You're better. The church is better. We work better together. And then he says, and this is pretty cool because I think this is something we struggle with in our day to day. He says, and I can see that you're aware that Jesus is coming again and you're living with great expectancy. That's pretty cool. Again, you, you hadn't gotten there yet, but just take my word for it. He's about to slap them around about their messed up lives. But he's encouraging them with these words because he's looking through the filter of Jesus. Don't miss this. When you look at people through the filter of Jesus and you see them as God sees them, you see them at their very best. And that affects your relationships. I want you to think about something before we do anything else. How are you looking at the people around you today? Are you giving them the benefit of the doubt? Are you seeing them as God sees them? How, how about, how are you looking in the mirror? Are you constantly beating yourself up over where you're falling short? Or how are you responding? So let me just give you five things you can hold on to when you're, you're living a messed up life. These are five things for you to hold on to. First, rest in your salvation. If you truly experience the grace of Jesus Christ, then don't doubt in the dark what God's shown you in the light. And just a moment, I'm gonna deal with the reality that some of us in here have never begun that relationship with Christ. That's simply true statistically, but we also know it. Some of us in this room, some of us watching today have never yet begun that relationship where we've surrendered our all to Jesus. But if you have, don't you dare doubt in those moments of dark what God has shown you in the light. Now, why this is so important is is this. When you understand that your temporal future is only as secure as your ability to keep performing at a high level the comfort of knowing your eternal future has already been decided becomes the eternal becomes the ultimate source of encouragement. Let me say that again in my words. When, when you understand that you can't blow it bad enough to mess up your eternal future, when you go through your daily life and you blow it, and you mess up, it becomes a little more bearable by the grace of God. That's why I have to hold on to this truth of my salvation. Rest in your salvation. Secondly, recognize your spiritual blessings. Determine that God has given you a mind, and he wants you to use it for his glory. Grow in your understanding of the things of God. Get in the word of God. Determine to to make yourself aware of all that God wants in your life. As the Bible says, study to show yourself approved. And there are plenty of tools. We've, in fact, given you a Bible reading plan. You can pick these up in one of our lobbies just to to go through and read the Bible on a daily basic basis. You can pick up one of these devotional that we've made available to you. This will help you just go through Monday through Friday and then extra time on the weekend to spend a devotional time in in Scripture and and in some thoughts about God's Word. You can go on the app called YouVersion and there's countless uh, programs and plans that you can follow just to help you get into God's Word, but determine to recognize how God has blessed you and and to grow in your understanding of that this year. Thirdly, realize your security in Christ. Hold on to that truth that if you're a follower of Jesus, nothing can snatch you out of the Father's hands. Hold on to the reality, as it says in Ephesians 1, that the Holy Spirit of God seals you until the day of redemption. If you trust Him by faith, His grace. Fourthly, responsibly use your spiritual gifts, except that God's already given you everything. I love the way one translation puts this verse in in chapter one. He says, God has given you everything you need to do what he wants you to do. So here's what we're going to study here in several weeks that God has gifted every one of us with, with special spiritual endowments. That when we live according to those, we are more fulfilled and the church is blessed. When we don't live according to our spiritual gifts, we are less fulfilled and the church misses out. And so he wants us to recognize our spiritual gifts. And then finally, ready yourself for the second coming of Christ. Begin to live with the understanding that this day is just preparation for that day. I want you to notice one thing before I move on. All these five things, their salvation, their spiritual intellect that they had gained, the the security they had in Christ, their spiritual gifting, this awareness of the second coming. Do you know what it all pointed to? Jesus. Say his name with me. Say Jesus. Paul was saying, before we get to your messed up life, I want you to understand anything and everything good about you comes from Jesus. Wake up every day and just acknowledge before God, God, everything that's of any value, everything that's of any worth in me is coming from you. This is, this is also why we have to remember that He is willing to work with us in spite of our messed up life, because Paul was looking at this church and he was about to deal with their mess, but he says, "Hey, don't don't forget this. Because of Jesus, you're valuable, and you're worth the investment." I just look at your eyes as an under shepherd, as a pastor today and, and say, I don't know everything each of you are going through, but I know this regardless, you're valuable to God. You're worth the investment of, of his presence in your life. Don't give up. Don't walk away. Let him continue to mold and, and shape you. So that's why Paul focused like a laser on the objective truth of Christ. Because the truth of the power of the gospel does not change because of our actions. The truth that is objective of the power of the gospel does not change because of the subjective experiences around us. God's truth is truth. And so with that as a backdrop, he then begins to address a big issue. And so I just want to introduce part of the mess by introducing one issue. Look at verse 10. He says, so I appeal to you brothers by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ that you agree, all of you agree among you. That you be united in the same mind, in the same judgment. We'll spend more time on this as we journey through the book. It's interesting that here in the church, after the, the resurrection of Jesus, just after Jesus had knelt in the garden of Gethsemane and said, Now, Father, for those that follow us, please make them one just as clearly as you and I are one. Isn't it interesting? for those who call the name of Christ to begin to divide themselves. And Paul's reminding them again, this this principle of unity in Christ, if it's all about the power of the gospel and the simplicity that brings, then there really is nothing else that should divide us. But I don't want you to miss one of the first things that messes us up. And it's that natural inclination to find our identity in someone or something else. And so they were doing it. Apollos was a disciple of Paul. Apollos was one of the early folks to be discipled from Corinth under Paul. He was a great linguist. He was a great So Paul took him with him after that year. Discipled him more, and then they sent him back to Corinth. And so what was happening? If some were going, Oh my goodness, good gracious, Apollos can preach. I mean, if if when he preaches, if it doesn't light your fire, your your wood's wet. If it doesn't ring your bell, the, the ringer's broke. I mean, Apollos can preach, and others were saying, Oh, but there would never be anybody like Paul. I mean, he was the first. We've gone downhill ever since he left never the same. And then somebody else stood up and said, oh, but what if we had Peter? I mean, when Peter preaches, thousands of people walk the aisle and get saved. I wish we had Peter. And occasionally he cusses and that makes us feel better. And then somebody, Jesus, jukes and said, well, I just follow Jesus. And Paul strains it out and reminds him, you are missing the point these guys they didn't have theological differences by the way it was their rhetorical style it was preference it was what people were used to think that still divides Christians today and Paul is saying in, in light of all this don't Miss it, and, and so really, what he's saying is, this is a this is <laughs> this is worth your attendance. He he's saying, when you've got horizontal relational issues, you better do a quick examination of your vertical relationship. And the simplicity of the gospel reminds us of this because the the simplicity of gospel goes against everything in our society. Because our society screams, pull yourself up by the bootstraps. You can do this. And the gospel says, no, you can't. But he did. See, the beauty of the gospel is that in our societal influx of self-realization and self-definition and, and self-help, God tells us, I, I'm the only one that can really give you what you need. So Paul was really saying, you'll, you'll never move beyond your messed up life until you understand the power that's found in the cross of Jesus Christ. I pray that this year you dig into God's word and you understand that his truth is objective regardless of your subjective experiences in life. And that's what we try to teach you here straight from his word, the Bible. What what Paul was saying is what was accomplished on the cross did it all. That's why you'll hear me occasionally say things like, God will never love you more than He's already loved you. He could never love you less than He loved you today. Why would I say that? that? That sounds weird, doesn't it? Because surely, man, sometimes we disappoint God. Yes, yeah, sure we do. We fall short, we are messed up. But it's like my kids, my, my kids sometimes irritate me. They sometimes frustrate me. They break my heart on occasion. They've grieved me. I've even been angered by them, but I've never changed or wavered in my love for them. And I'm not even close to God. See, the Bible says in 1 John 4 that God is love. And so what happened on that cross is we see the embodiment of God's love, just like we see the embodiment of God's forgiveness. God forgave us once and for all there. That's hard for us to understand, but he did. But I receive that forgiveness and I receive his love on a daily basis when I look back to the power that's found in the cross of Christ. So when I'm evaluating my messed up life, what I want to do is just determine... Where am I finding my identity and and where am I placing my trust? It's either in yourself or other people or it's in the cross of Christ. What I want you to understand is the bottom line is that when your life is falling apart, Jesus really can put it back together. But, but it's for this reason. It's because your life is like molding clay. And he's molding you and shaping you and moving you into his image. And sometimes it is messed up. And yet when I submit to him, he says, all right, let me get you back. And this may be painful, but here you go. Your life is not made of plaster before God. When you fall, you don't break into a million pieces. He's molding you into his image as long as you allow. And he's doing that through the power of the cross of Jesus Christ.
1: You've been listening to The Barnabas Effect with Pastor Paul Purvis. The Barnabas Effect is here to provide listeners like you with biblical truth and spiritual encouragement